Our first reading comes from Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 to 21. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all this, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go out to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the species. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gigashites, and the Jebusites. The word of the Lord. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she proclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, 
and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The Gospel of the Lord. Our Father, uh, we, we come before you. Um, we come to look into your word. Um, we come to hear from you. And we ask that you'd speak to us. Uh, we ask that uh, as we look into the words of uh, your mother Mary, um, that uh, you would give us, um, give us uh, a taste of that joy that she expresses. Um, would you uh, open our eyes to uh, just the depths of your love for us? Um, we entrust this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So please uh, be seated. And uh, you can turn back a page to uh, pages 8 and 9 in your bulletins. Uh, you'll want to keep uh, both of our readings in front of you this morning. We're, uh, we're going to be bouncing between uh, Genesis 15 and Luke 1 as we continue our Advent series focusing on Mary's song in Luke 1. And it's, it's often called the Magnificat, which is a song of immense joy. It's the song Mary sings when she learns that she is about to give birth to Jesus, um, whose advent or coming to us we celebrate at Christmas. And one of the questions we're asking each week here is, why does Mary have such deep joy? And maybe related to that is, uh, how can I or how can you have access to that deep joy? Last week we saw that uh, one of the reasons for Mary's deep joy was that Jesus came to restore our broken humanity. And part of the restoration of our humanity is the reclamation of our dignity, which God created us with. This dignity was rejected by Adam and Eve way back at the beginning of Genesis 3, which is at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, it was rejected when they chose not to trust who God was and that what he desired for them was good. And in doing so, they lost the close relational presence of God with them. Now, since our humanity, that is, that which makes us human, is relational, we tend to try to fill that space with whatever we can to give ourselves dignity. It might be romantic relationships, it might be work, possessions, status, degrees, there's just countless things that we turn to. But Jesus is the one who restores that dignity by restoring our union with God. It's that relationship of trust that we're made to have. Now, dignity is our deep sense of self-worth that comes from being made in the image of God. Without leaving uh, dignity behind, what we're doing this morning is we're going to shift slightly and we're going to look at honor. Jesus restores not only our dignity, but our honor. And honor, it, it kind of takes our dignity and it, it shifts it outwards towards other people. Um, it goes beyond us. Honor is not something that we consider much in our Western culture, um, and it, it can get kind of confusing quickly. Um, this, this year, my, my daughters started piano lessons for the first time. 
And now that we're getting close to Christmas, uh, they're learning a few Christmas carols. Uh, one of them is Jingle Bells. Um, I think most of us know it, right? Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle All the Way. Um, and there's the verses that go along with it, uh, dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. Um, but as you go along in the opening verse, you get to a line that actually caused me a whole lot of confusion when I was probably, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old, somewhere there. I, I, I'm, I was at that age where you don't pay much to the, con to the context of a song. Um, but there's this line that says, uh, bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. Um, now, to this day, um, it's just not a song that I pay a whole lot of attention to, but uh, I like, I'm pretty sure the song is just about having a really good time on a sleigh ride. Um, but when I was like nine, I, I didn't pay attention to that context, and it just struck me as really, really odd. And I grew up in Canada, um, and so uh, even though like I'm a city boy, I grew up in a, a city in Canada, I did spend a lot of time um, going out camping in the woods, in the mountains, and so to my nine-year-old imagination, first thing that popped into my mind when I heard those words was not an image of a nicely groomed horse's tail that's kind of cut short in a bob with bells on it making this noise as you're going on this joyful sleigh ride. Um, what popped into my mind was, um, why on earth would someone want to tie bells onto a bobtail's, bob, bobcat's tail? Um, right, like I misunderstood what a bobtail was, and so in my mind I'm just like, like bobcats, are, they're like these vicious, wild little cats, and you don't want to get close to them. That, that's crazy. What are we singing about? And, and that, to be honest, that image still pops in my mind to this day every time I hear jingle bells. Um, but but, but then, then, like, the nine-year-old me, like, like, I started thinking, well, actually, you know what? That could be lots of fun. Like, 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 I've seen what happens when you tie something onto a house cat's tail. Like, imagine what a bobcat would do. Um, and so now, like, I've turned this joyful sleigh ride song into, like, this bobcat horror show. Um, like, I've completely missed the meaning of the song, of what's going on, because I'm misinterpreting um, kind of a, a, a key image in it. So, so you're probably wondering, where, where, where's he going with this? Um, honor. Um, what, what I'm trying to get at is that when we come to looking at Mary's story, or Abraham's story, if we have a distorted view of part of that story, we run the risk of missing out on what it's all about or even changing the meaning of it. And honor is one of those things that, while not explicitly mentioned in either story, shapes the worlds of both Abram and Mary. Now, we, we, I think we still have remnants of honor in our culture here in the West today. Um, and, and probably those of us who are from like Asia or Africa or Latin America probably have a better grasp of honor. But, but, but what I want to do this morning is to just take a look at honor. First, what is it? Then what does it look like for Mary? Then what does it look like for Abram, going to their Genesis reading? And then the fourth and final thing is, is how does Jesus, um, how does God redefine honor and, and, and change how we relate to the world around us? So honor. Um, honor, um, kind of in its most basic sense, is about your standing in community. It's about your relationships with others. Uh, there's a Nigerian theologian, uh, Takanbo Adeyamo. He says, honor is the positive value someone has in her or his own eyes, which is accompanied by a positive appreciation of that person by her or his social group and society. Right, so honor encompasses 
how we see ourselves, and that, that's tapping into our dignity, how we see ourselves, but then it's also having that, 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 that dignity recognized and reinforced by those we're in community with. And, and so we're, we're social beings, that's part of just how our identity is formed. And our, our culture still has parts of this embedded in how we interact with others. Right, we talk about things like, like being disrespected or slighted or, or belittled. And we often have like a defensive reaction to those situations where we feel the need to defend our honor. Um, but, but we've lost a lot of the, the kind of common communal markers of honor um, in, in our culture where we're a lot more individualized. So, so the thing about the brokenness of humanity is that it's not just our relate, relatedness to God that was broken, but, but it's how we relate to others is broken as well. So we can easily turn our desire for honor into a selfish sort of demand whereby we manipulate and force other people to honor us um, rather than having honor functioning as this social outworking of our dignity, um, which is grounded in who we are made in the image of God. So honor's a, a communal reinforcing of our self-worth. And there's markers in Mary's time some 2,000 years ago and in Abram's time some 2,000 years before that, which are important. Um, we'll draw those out um, as we look at them next. So Mary. Um, Mary is a fascinating person um, just for, for many, many reasons, but, but here we find her described with the highest honor. Yet she bears none of the markers of honor in her society. Right? In fact, so much of who she is marks her as shameful in that culture. She's young, she's not married, she's pregnant. She's not from a city of note. Uh, she doesn't have a family line of note. Um, she's not wealthy. Right? Things like wealth, marriage, children, especially male children um, within marriage. Um, those are all the reasons that a person would be honored um, where she is. And she, she's like the opposite of all of that. And then here's how she speaks. If you look at, at verse 46 in, in Luke 1. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Right? All generations will call her blessed. Um, Mary's described in this honorific way, even though her situation is questionable in the eyes of her culture. Um, in fact, her honor here is not linked to any of those traditional markers of culture. It's grounded in God, my Savior, who has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. And, and Mary's song goes on, and it emphasizes this theme of generations calling her blessed, and God's mercy being poured out from generation to generation. There's a theme in there and it, until we come to the last stanza of the song. And there it says, He, that is God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And so here's where we're making the jump into our, our first reading, our passage in Genesis 15. There's something spoken to Abram, um, or as he's called in Genesis 15, Abram, because uh, his name hasn't changed yet. There's something spoken to Abram 
that seems to have been fulfilled in Mary being honored by burying this child Jesus and in, in, in everything that's happened there. So, so let's flip over to Genesis 15 and see if we can figure out what it is that, that pops back up with Mary. So Abram. Abram is in many ways uh, the complete opposite of Mary. Um, he's not a young woman. He's an old man. Um, and though there, there is one very important uh, detail in common to both of them. We'll get to that. But, but Abraham seems to be quite wealthy. He's originally from the city of Ur, which was a pretty major city back then. And even though his, his father's moved the family to a place called Haran, and in, they're in a kind of a semi-nomadic life, um, they seem to have been doing quite well. Um, Abram's respected. He's married. When we meet him in Genesis 15, he's just come off a pretty big military victory whereby he rescued his nephew Lot from a group of kings in the surrounding area. Um, th these are all grounds for, for like big-time honor, right? Marriage wealth, the military prowess. Um, he even gets blessed by this uh, priest called Melchizedek. And then there's, a, there's the fact that he's the recipient of a huge promise from God. Earlier on in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, a few chapters um, before this, um, God comes up to Abraham, or Abram, and, and this happens in Genesis 12. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And God, God is promising honor beyond all reason to Abram. Abram takes God at his word and, and follows him. And, uh, and he actually, he kind of makes a bit of a mess of things along the way. Um, there, there's a famine that hits the land when they get there, and so they go to Egypt, and Abram tries to pass his wife off as his sister, and then they get booted out of Egypt. Um, then they recover. Things start going well, actually so well, that his livestock and his nephew's livestock, the land can't actually handle how much livestock there is. So they agree to part and go their separate ways. Um, but then Lot gets mixed up um, in, in, in kind of the wrong crowd when he settles in a place called Zoar, um, which is what brings us to our, our present passage. Um, that's kind of the whirlwind tour of Abram um, coming up to where we are. Now, Abram's now rescued Lot from the trouble that Lot was in. Um, there's a number of years have passed since God has made this promise to Abram to make him a great nation and bless all the families of the earth through him. Um, and here we find Abraham, or Abram is, is preoccupied with something. It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of, of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and the number of the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
So did you notice um, there's a word that's repeated here in, 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 this, uh, in this section? Um, it's the word heir, right? Um, God's come to Abram in this vision, and, and kind of all Abram can think of at the time is like, I don't have a son, right? Like, and in some ways, that, that's understandable. Um, God's promised that Abram will be the father of many nations, and it's logical that he needs a son to carry on the family line. And yet there is the fact that um, Abram and his wife Sarai are getting up there in years. Um, in fact, they're past the age of childbearing. And for all the esteem and honor a guy like Abram has, he's missing something. Um, if this promise of God is to be fulfilled, um, and, it, and if that happens to be fulfilled through his, uh, Abram's servant Eliezer, um, that, that, that's not exactly the most honorable legacy a man would desire back then. Now, now, God reiterates his promise to Abram here in the face of Abram's hesitation. Right? Your offspring will be as the number of stars in the sky. And then God makes it, makes it clear, like, it's going to be through your very own son. And, and, and then we find that, that Abram, he genuinely believes what God's promising. Right? Verse 6 um, is, is, is this, this, this line that um, is, is just kind of amazing. It says, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord. Um, but yet, Abram, I, I think he's still struggling a bit to grasp how is God going to do this. Um, and he's feeling the weight of, of not having um, this son. Uh, and, and in a sense, like, the, Abram seems to have like this mindset and it'll play out in some of the things that happen after the, this passage, but, but that, that everything still depends on him, right? An old man and an, with his old wife and, and a, what seems like a fool's hope that they'll have a son. Um, and then, then his thinking shifts as God points out that the land is still promised to Abram, right? He looks up at God in verse 7 and Abram kind of asks, he's like, but, but how do I know that I will possess it? Right? I believe you, but I can't see it. And I think, I think what's happening here is, is God is stripping away Abram's idea of honor. He's actually replacing it with a deeper, deeper understanding of what honor is. Now, now what do I mean? Now, we've got to look at the, the weird part of this passage. Right, it's probably the part you've been wondering about the whole time with um, a, a flaming pot and, and all this stuff. Um, here, here we come to a strange sort of covenant ceremony. God has Abram cut up a bunch of animals and spread them out. Right, Deep sleep comes on Abram and God tells him that Abram's descendants will actually be enslaved and not possess this land for hundreds of years. Okay, that, that's not what you're expecting. Um, that doesn't sound promising, but, but he does say that, that Abram is going to die in peace, even, even with all this stuff on the horizon. And then this smoking fire pot moves between the cut-up halves of the animals. We're told that in this, God made a covenant um, to give to Abraham's descendants the land in question. Now, what, what's happening here, it's, it's a very specific type of covenant ceremony that, that's found in parts of the ancient world. What would happen is if two people, you know, usually like kings or leaders, um, they were what is called cutting a covenant, right? Making a covenant, it's called cutting a covenant. 
they'd divide up animals like this, um, spread them out, and they'd walk down the middle of these carved out carcasses, and they'd be in effect pledging that if I do not fulfill my part of the covenant that we're making, may I become like one of these animals. Now, what's unique about this covenant is only one party is represented by the smoking fire part to, uh, to take part in this pledge. It's like God is saying to Abram, um, I swear by, by my, my honor um, that, that, that this will come to pass. Right? If I fail to honor my promise, may I become like these animals. Um, God, God's saying like, this is going to happen. Um, my honor depends on it. Um, and in doing this, um, Abram's honor is being refocused. Um, it's being untethered from being tied to all of the cultural expectations. Um, and it's being linked to the character and the person of God. Right? Abraham's honor now depends on God's honor. And the question is, is God trustworthy? Maybe that's something that you wrestle with. Is God trustworthy? Abraham decides in that moment that God is. And this is what will allow Abram to die in peace, even with the knowledge that he's not going to see the promise completely fulfilled in his lifetime, and his descendants will be slaves for a while in Egypt. And here is where we can return to Mary's deep joy. In Jesus, um, even as Jesus, he's, he's yet to be born. He, he's a child growing in Mary's womb. Even, even in that, God is bestowing honor on Mary. And it's transforming the source of honor in her life. It's no longer about the cultural expectations all around her. It's about the presence of God in her life. It's the presence of God restoring her dignity. Um, and that's impacting how everybody else sees her and how she interacts with the world. Over, over the 2,000 years or so between Abram and Mary, um, the expectations have grown regarding um, the fulfillment of this covenant God made with Abram. Abram's had many descendants, um, but there's going to be even more. Um, Jesus, when he shows up, um, Jesus being God with us, he, he does more than anyone ever even expects. And I don't know if Mary even fully grasps all the ramifications of what's going on, but she knows something big is happening. And, and, and so how does God's promise to Abram, Abram um, to be a blessing to the nations, um, to have descendants as numerous as the stars, to inherit the land, how does that, that become filled in Jesus or fulfilled in Jesus? Um, well, it goes back to, to Genesis 15, 6. Um, and Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. It's this simple act of faith, of trust in who God is that changes everything for Abram. Right? It's actually the same thing that happens with Mary. Um, when an angel appears to Mary and announces that she'll be pregnant and give birth to Jesus, who will be the one who sets all things right. She responds, actually, first, kind of like Abram. She's like asking, how will this be so? Um, but then, um, you know, after a little bit, she, she responds by saying, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Right? And it's through that act of faith that Jesus will enter into the world. Jesus, um, the descendant of Abram, who will be a blessing to the whole world. And he'll take on the depths of our brokenness and alienation. He will restore our dignity. He'll take all that's broken in us to his death on the cross and draw us into God's presence as we're meant to be. Right? And Jesus will, 
expand who has access to God's presence and promise. Um, the Apostle Paul actually in, um, in the book of Galatians, uh, um, he, he, he keys in on, on this promise to Abraham and the fact that it was by faith um, that Abraham believed and it's credited to him as righteousness. And, and he points out that, that this is for everyone. It's not just for the closely defined unit of followers of Abraham. It's for everybody. It's for all peoples. It's for all nations. And Jesus will restore our honor. Right? When we're drawn into a relationship of trust with God, we no longer have to defend our own honor. Right? It depends on a God who will go to the cross and take on death for us so that we can be restored. Um, what, what this does is, is it changes us. Um, it can change us from being a, a snarky, sarcastic person who's concerned with maintaining my own honor into a person um, who wants to outdo everyone else in showing honor to each other. Right? This is another thing that, that Paul talks about in the book of Romans where he challenges um, us to outdo each other in showing each other honor. This is what he's getting at. It's like if we're rooted and grounded, if we're loved by God, if, 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 if our dignity is, front, is, is grounded in Jesus, if it's not grounded in, in um, our achievements, if it's not grounded in our class, if it's not grounded in, in all of these markers that we place on our identity, but it's grounded in Jesus, then the challenge for us who follow Jesus is to outdo each other in showing honor, right? It, it changes the way that we relate to other people. And then we see things like, that are like in the Magnificat where God is, uh, is lifting up, uh, is showing grace to the humble, where, where God is, um, is uh, exalting those of humble estate, filling the hungry with good things, um, the rich he sent empty away. It, it, it's... it's um, it's dignifying other people in, in, in how we act. And so, so the question that, that I just want to leave you with this morning, um, as, as we look at the Magnificat, as we reflect on this, as we continue to reflect on it over the next few weeks, as we think about Jesus coming to us, um, the question is like, do you trust Jesus, right? Whether you um, have been a Christian for years and years and years, or whether you're just exploring this thing called Christianity and and trying to figure it out, it's like, do you trust Jesus? Um, Do you trust that if you follow Jesus, um, that the honor and dignity that God gives to us is enough? Because that's where Mary's at. The honor and dignity that she's been given from Jesus overflows to joy. That's the joy that, that... I pray we all taste um, as we're looking, as we're leaning into Advent, as we're looking out into this this, uh, season that we're in. Do we share in the joy Mary has in Jesus? I pray that we do. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. 
And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.